helping people cope with and overcome life's challenges. This is Life Transformations with Michael Hart, Canadian Certified Counselor and Award-Winning Psychotherapist. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Life Transformation Show. Today's show is titled Religious and the Sexual Compulsive Behaviors. And as a background for this talk today, I will be using the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery from John 8, verse 2 to 11. And I'll be using this story in a way that maybe you have never heard it talked about before. But you will see that it makes a lot of sense as I go through and examine this topic of religious and sexual behavior using this story. It's a very short passage, so I'll read it in its entirety. Verse 2 starts, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down and teach them. The teachers of the law, the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in the caught in the act of adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law Moses commanded us to stone such woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question to trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. The story of the woman caught in the act of adultery is not merely the story of an adulterous woman who is brought before Jesus to be judged. It is a story that reflects the deeper spiritual and psychological condition of all humanity. The story splits humanity into two groups. The first group is represented by the Pharisees. They represent those of us who, although carrying a deep sense of guilt and shame, mask it by behaviors that make us socially acceptable and, as a result, feel better about ourselves. In the Pharisees' case, the masking behavior was religiosity, their religion. By the masking but but the masking could also be a position of prominence, wealth, education, or some other means that feed our ego and makes us feel better about ourselves while we ignore the deep feeling of guilt and shame. The second group in this story is represented by the woman caught in the act of adultery. She represents those of us who are painfully aware that our actions and desires fall outside acceptable social norms. 
This causes a sense of being alienated from God and from others. In the case of the woman in the story, it was an adulterous affair. But other masking behaviors today include drug addictions, affairs, eating disorders, porn addiction, sexual addiction, or any other vice with which we struggle. In this group, we are well aware of the deep sense of guilt and shame. But our behaviors are ways of trying to mask our emotional pain. So, in a nutshell, this story splits humanity into two groups. The first group uses functional ways of hiding their sense of guilt and shame. In the Pharisees' case, it was religion. The second group uses dysfunctional ways to mask their guilt and shame. In this this case, in the story, the woman turned to adultery. In this podcast, I will be examining... I will be examining the two groups represented by the Pharisees and the woman caught in the act of adultery against the background of religious and sexual compulsion. And in so doing, I will highlight key principles that are necessary for us to find freedom from our sense of guilt and shame, which in the story is called sin. Let us begin by looking at the Pharisees. Who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were a religious sect that lived around the time of Jesus. Josephus, a first century historian writing about the Pharisees, says that they they observed the law more strictly than any other religious group. In other words, They took the law as very serious business, as they should, but they went above and beyond what any other group would would do. And they added a lot of do's and don'ts that made it burdensome to feel as if one was living a life that was pleasing to God. Other people who looked at this group in that time and saw them as being the standard by which holy living should should be judged felt hopeless because they could not meet the standards of the the Pharisees. Jesus speaking of them in Matthew 23 verse 15 said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You traverse land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. So here is Jesus painting this picture of these people who were overly zealous to convert others. Jesus talks about them traveling land and sea to make one convert, and then in the end making the person worse than they were before. Jesus also spoke negative negatively of them in Matthew 23, verse 27, when he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you are full of dead man's 
bones and every kind of impurity. So these men gave an outward appearance of doing what's right, of keeping the law. But Jesus looked inwardly and saw that there was something wrong on the inside. Renowned theologian Paul Tillich says sin is a state of being before it becomes an action. And he describes sin as a state of being separated from oneself, from others, and from God. We can clearly see these three levels of separation in this story. The Pharisees were so separated from themselves that they they couldn't see their own blindness. They were blind to their own shortcomings. And we see that they were separated from others because they were so judgmental of everyone else around them. And so they were separated from others and they were separated from God because Jesus called them sons of hell. And that their converts, they were making converts more sons of hell than they were. So the the Pharisees, as I said in the beginning, shows a kind of religious compulsion, a kind of religious OCD. And we will see some of the signs of OCD in the Pharisees. But let me first talk about what are some of the the symptoms of religious OCD or religious scrupulosity, as it is called in psychological circles. So people who have religious OCD, they become obsessed with religious thoughts of blaspheming against God. They become obsessed with the feeling that they have somehow sinned or that they're behaving immorally. These people with religious OCD also becomes taken up with excessive praying, often confessing over and over, but never feel as if they're they're holy enough. People with religious OCD also get caught up in cleansing ritual, doing things to make themselves feel pure, feel holy. So they become caught up with repeated cleansing and purifying rituals. But they're also, they also, uh, does, they also do a lot of self-sacrificing in an attempt to please God. So when we see the Pharisees, when we see the Pharisees in Scripture, we get we get a picture of them from the Gospels. We see that they had a lot of these symptoms. Let's talk about rituals, for example. In Matthew 11, verse 38, they accuse Jesus of not washing his hands before meals. Now, we might read this and think, oh, Jesus is eating with dirty hands, but that's not what it is referring to at all. The Pharisees had a way of washing your hands. It had to be washed in a certain way to make sure that you are clean from sin. So this was not about about germs. This was about religious purity. In the same way that someone would say grace before eating a meal, the Pharisees had a ritual of how you should wash your hand before you could partake in a meal. And if you did not do that, you were sinning. They were obsessed with these 
rituals. The Pharisees were were obsessed with with acts of self-sacrifice. We see Jesus talking about how they would travel sea and land in Matthew 23 verse 15 to make one convert. This is a sign of religious OCD. People with religious OCD will wear themselves out trying to do good. So we see this in, in, in the Pharisees, that they had this religious compulsion that was a way of really silencing their inner pain. So now let's go back to the story of the woman at the well. These men with religious compulsion, these self-righteous men, carried this woman before God, this woman who they who they were con. They, they were condemning because of her sin, and they were asking Jesus what they should do with this woman because the law of Moses said that she should be stoned to death. So these men who were religious, they had no compassion for this woman. They did not care about the fact that they were shaming her. They were so detached from their own their own sinfulness by their religiosity that they actually thought by doing what they were doing that they were doing God's will. So they they didn't have a sense of shame because their sense of shame was drowned out by their religious service. And so their coping mechanism in this case was their, was their religious compulsion, their religiosity. And in many people who use religion as a way of hiding from their shame and guilt, they become extremely religious. And don't get me wrong, I, I, I'm a religious person myself, so I think religion is a good thing and it's a way to practice it in a healthy way. But there are many people who, like the Pharisees, they become extremely religious, but they have not dealt with the inner pain. The religion is is a mask of avoiding their own sinfulness. And we see this in the story, that when Jesus, when they met with Jesus and they asked Jesus what to do, Jesus bent down, wrote on, wrote something on the ground, and then said, Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. So in other words, Jesus was challenging these men to say, Look inwardly. Don't be disconnected from yourself. Look inwardly. Self-examine and see what's going on on the inside. And so to help them out, he started writing on the ground. Some theologians believe that Jesus was actually writing their sins on the ground. So these men who were so righteous and were so adept at at keeping the law to perfection could not see their own sinfulness. They wanted to stone this woman to death, but they couldn't see that even by this act of wanting to stone her to death that they were being hypocritical. Because you see, the law specified that it was not just the woman who should be stoned to death, but both the man and the woman. Leviticus 20.10. Where is the man in this story? 
Maybe he was one of the Pharisees. Maybe he was one of their members. Or maybe he was some prominent member of society. And so he is missing in action. But this woman is taken to Jesus as an example of someone who is sinful. And I hate the fact that this story is called the woman caught in the act of adultery. I think that this story should be called the hypocritical Pharisees or sinful religious men because the woman is not the only sinner in this story. She's not the only one who has a, who should have a sense of guilt and shame. You see, the Pharisees were masked their sense of guilt and shame and using projection to project their guilt and shame unto this woman. And so Jesus says, let he who is, who is without sin cast the first blow. And they went away one by one because as they self-examined, their own sinfulness became apparent. Their own guilt and shame become Apparent. So who does the Pharisees represent today? The Pharisees represent those of us who use religion to avoid dealing with emotional pain. The Pharisees represents also those of us who become obsessive. We have obsessive compulsive thoughts and actions as a way of trying to deal with the inner torment. They also represent those of us who on the surface look like we have it all together. But the things that we have and, and our, our presentation, it's just that it's a presentation. But on the inside, we have not dealt with the sense of guilt and shame that is really there that we are projecting on others. So now let's talk about the woman. The woman who is caught in the act of adultery. Now, Jesus did not condemn this woman. This woman was probably a, a, a sexual abuse victim. We know that sexual abuse victims have have sexual compulsions that they cannot control. Many, I should say, sexual abuse victims have compulsions that they cannot control. Michael will be right back. You have been listening to the Life Transformation Show where psychotherapist Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services has been speaking on the topic religious and sexual compulsive behaviors. You can find out more about us at elimcounselingministry.com or by calling 1-877-544-3546. Your donations help us to stay on the air and to provide subsidized counseling to those who can't afford it. Back to Michael. Researchers such as Koenig and Clark in 2004 and Heeman and Heard Davidson in 2004 says that sexual abuse victims, sexual abuse in childhood leads to risky sexual behaviors in adult life and to things like multiple sexual partners and higher incidence of sexually transmitted diseases. And so this woman in the story had some kind of sexual compulsion. And let me just explain why I think this is so, because you might think I'm just 
out on a limb here as I say that, but this woman in this story is doing an act that she could be put to death for. So just for the pleasure of the moment or the emotional needs that it is meeting for her, she is so compelled to do this action that she is risking her death. And this is something that we see in people with sexual compassion. They're risking sexually transmitted disease. They're risking being killed by the lovers of people that they are, that they are cheating with. But the compulsion is so strong that they have to follow through on acting out. So in those days, this woman would not get a, a book deal for her story of being caught in the act of adultery like it would like many women would today if they were in an affair with some prominent Pharisee, you know, prominent businessman that's well known in society. She would not get a book deal. She would not appear on CNN. She would not be making money from it. She would be killed for her action. And yet, because of her compulsion, she is acting out. And so we see this compulsion, but we see also her sense of guilt and shame. She represents those of us who know that what we're doing is wrong, but do not have the power to stop. And so as Jesus, as she's standing before Jesus, and Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees, and he challenged them on their own sins, and they're walking away one by one, we're told that it came to a point where just she and Jesus was standing there. And when Jesus got up from the ground that he was writing, and he looked up, and he saw that she was the only one left, and he saw her standing there, it is, it is said that Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they that accuse you. In other words, Jesus is saying, your accusers are gone. You are free. You can leave. But she is still standing there. She is standing in her place of guilt and shame. And it's as if she felt so guilty and so condemned that Jesus had to give her the permission to leave. So Jesus said to her in in one translation, go and sin no more. In the NIV, it says, go now and leave your life of sin behind. Now, we often read this verse, go and sin no more, and we take it to mean that Jesus is giving her a command to stop sinning. Don't, don't go and commit any more adultery. But there is something more powerful here in this text. I believe, as many uh, as other scholars that I have read, believe that this was not a, a warning. This, this was an empowerment. Jesus was giving her the power to now say no to unwanted sexual advantage. Advances. Sexual abuse victims often don't have that permission, that control of their personal space and their body that they can say no. They get themselves in situation that they feel a lot of guilt and shame after, but they can't say no. They, they put themselves in situations over and over again. So by Jesus saying, go and leave your life of sin behind, he's actually saying, woman, 
son, I am giving you now the power and the authority not to give in to the compulsion. Because you see, the woman was not the only sinner in that story. The religious men were sinners too, but they did not receive this empowerment from Jesus because their heart was not right. He could not say to them, go and sin no more because their heart was not in the right position. They were still separated from their sense of guilt and shame. They, they saw themselves as being religious and righteous where this woman her heart was in the right place. So the point I'm making here is a lesson about how to break free from religious and sexual compulsion. And this woman is a good example of that. She saw herself as being unworthy. She got in touch with her deeper pain. I believe that there was a conversation there between her and Jesus where he maybe have talked about what led her to the point that she is. And she felt she got in touch with those emotions and he was able to say to her, I am giving you now the power to go and sin no more. So to get that power, we have to be honest with ourselves. As long as we hide our shame and guilt and pretend that we are better than others, and as long as we project on others like the Pharisees do, that they are evil, but we are good. You know, Charles Spurgeon in one of his his sermons says that Christians are the most holy of fornicators. They are the most holy of adulterers. They are the the most holiest of thieves because they see themselves that way. They are doing the same thing, but because they are not in touch with themselves, they see themselves better than others. So that silence when Jesus was writing on the ground was an invitation for self-reflection and for us to be empowered to get over our religious compulsion, our sexual compulsion, we need to have that time where we self-examine to see what's really going on inside. And so self-examination could include, where did my sense of guilt and shame come from? How have I been masking my sense of guilt and shame? What's the cost of keeping on this mask, these unhealthy masks? And uh, we should also ask ourselves, how can we have developed compassion for our younger self? So the sense of guilt and shame for what we did when we were younger. Think about the the information that you lacked about the, the action that you committed or the fact that your knowledge of sex wasn't what it is today when you were being sexually abused. So you had no, you didn't have an understanding of what it was that you were being involved with. And so that kind of compassion can help you to move forward. Jesus gave this, this, this invitation for compassion in the story when he He caused the Pharisees to see that they were no better than the woman. But instead of apologizing to her and accepting her as a person, they left with their religious pride. And so this invitation for reflection includes having compassion 
for one's self. But this self-reflection also includes a true application of religion. A true spirituality and true religion will offer you a way to self-empowerment where you can say no to the things that you want to stop as opposed to the mask of religion which keeps you projecting your sins and on others. So I see that we have quickly come to the end of today's show. I want to thank you so much for being on this with us on this episode of the Life Transformation Show. If you have missed the first part of this podcast, you can listen to it on our YouTube channel by going to Elim Counseling Ministry Com. Elim is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. We also have over 200 other podcasts on that station. We are a not-for-profit organization, so please consider making a donation to this ministry. And so, until next time, this is your host, Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services, praying that God would bless you in all your relationships and to keep you sound in mind and pure in heart. Mm-hmm.